You're in for a treat. Miss Long's over there, ready to take you out to children's worship. Anybody else want to go? <laughs> Looks like fun to me. So um, just sing a rousing song, a new song, right? Um, and we're going to read the scripture, Psalm 98, that begins with, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And um, maybe you like new songs. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Some people like them. Some people don't. Uh, when we, uh, one of the things that you have to see, you know, if we sang that song, if you liked it, you think, wow, it's a great song. I'd like to sing that every Sunday. No, you wouldn't because, uh, after six or seven, you'd say, I'm tired of that. Can we sing something else? A new song. Um, new to us is a big deal, right? Well, this, you know, this, uh, the language here that's, that says the song is new. New is not really the best word for that. It would be better to be fresh. Right. That it is something that never grows old or stale. Right. Uh, And one of the things uh, that uh, is true of us, because we're distracted, cold, uh, consumed with other things, uh, freshness of God's mercy to us every morning is something we don't pay um, much attention to. But the psalmist is captivated uh, with the glory of God, with the love of God and the power of God. Of God, and so as we look at this this morning, as I read this text to you, uh, that's what we're going to uh, spend our time um, kind of focusing on. And as Kevin mentioned, you know, we're winding down at the end of the um, the liturgical year. There's only one more Sunday left, I think that's right. Uh, and uh, all of these uh, texts at the end of the liturgical year are preparing us for the Lord's Advent, uh, not you know Black Friday and. Uh, <laughs> The sales, but actually for uh, the profound thing uh, that our God is the uh, once and future coming king, right? And so as we look at that this morning, it'd be good for us to kind of reflect a little bit on that. So let me pray and then uh, we'll read, we'll read this text. Father, we come to you today recognizing the fact that um, much about us is off. Much about us is uh, false and cold and distracted and turned in on ourselves. I pray that you would forgive us for that. Um, and uh, there are uh, what's worse about that is that uh, for many of us, we don't even know that we're that way. And yet uh, you do. You love us. Uh, you bring us into your presence and uh, you uh, remind us even this morning uh, that you are good and you're powerful, and that you are for us. So as we read this uh, text from Psalm 98, I pray that you would uh, move uh, us uh, beyond uh, just um, thinking about the reality of your reign, uh, but uh, that you would sink that deep into our hearts, that it would affect uh, us uh, where we feel, where we love. Would you do that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Amen. So Psalm 98, it's in the bulletin up on the screens behind me. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So um, if you read the first three verses of this uh, psalm, one of the things you see, a word that's repeated a bunch is, the word salvation is his hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for us. The Lord's made known his salvation. Uh, he, uh, you know, we remember we have seen the salvation of our God. And so when you hear those words and I hear those words, salvation, we think what that means is God enters the world in Jesus. He dies on the cross and he saves me. And that means so that I believe in him when I die, I go to heaven. That's, for many of us, that's what we think of when we hear salvation, right? That's what we We think it is. And it's certainly that, no doubt. Uh, That's uh, a very foundational and basic thing that we believe. But the fact of the matter is that it's a little more nuanced than that in this in this psalm. It's 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 not just that Jesus is our savior and that he brings salvation to the world. But the salvation and the way the psalmist describes it is salvation. But it's also victory. Defeat of our enemies. Right? So it's a little more nuanced than the way in which we tend, we, we tend to think about it. When, when I was a kid, uh, we would often drive to East Tennessee where my dad's family was. And back in those days, uh, there was no interstate between Asheville, North Carolina and Knoxville, Tennessee. There was a windy little road, uh, that never got more than, than two lanes. And, uh, you couldn't hardly go about 30, 40 miles an hour on it. Terrible road. So terrible. Uh, universally, somebody got sick. In fact, we would drive through there. My parents would say, yeah, remember last year you got sick right there. And remember your brother got sick over there. So, you know, it was one of, it was one of those kinds of things. Well, one of the things that was amazing about that road was it was a curvy road, but uh, up the sides of the mountains, 50, 60 feet were these big rock faces where they had cut the road out. And um, because it's America and because we're full of ourselves, they were always covered with graffiti. And so uh, it was always interesting, you know, to uh, because I would have to open the window up, you know, to get some fresh air. We didn't have air conditioning in our car. And I would be holding my head out the window and I would look at the rocks and read the stuff that was up there. Well, there was, you know, Billy Bob loves Susie Jean and, you know, all of that kind of stuff all over the place. Uh, but uh, most often, you'd see painted on the sides of those rocks, Jesus saves. Now, then there was the Sea Rock City, you know, if you've ever seen that, which I've never seen Rock City, so I didn't obey that. But there's always those things that the, Jesus saves. It was almost everywhere, all over the place. 
Well, uh, I always, you know, I, I, I've thought, well, of course, you know, what a, what a crazy thing to write on a rock. You know, can't you be more creative than that? Um, but the fact is, it's not just that Jesus saves. Jesus saves by winning. Right? Uh, and one of the things that we have to see about that, one of the things we have to understand is that what we look forward to and, and the thing that history is moving towards is this celebration, this recognition, and the final uh, defeat of all of ours and Jesus' enemies. Now, I know that makes a lot of us uncomfortable, right? Because we live in a day and age where we don't want to talk a lot about defeating our enemies. We don't want to talk a lot about victory. We don't want to talk about a time and a place where God will, because of his grace and his mercy, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the victory he's won for us, we will put our feet on the necks of our enemies. Now, that we hear that and we're like, wow, that is, that's not a great thing to talk about in 2019, is it? That seems a little pompous and a little, well, I have some enemies that I'm looking forward to putting my foot on on their neck. I don't know if you feel that way or not. And uh, I think it will be something, you know, marvelous because when we think about the world and the flesh and the devil, and we think about the, the havoc that those things wreak, those enemies wreak in our lives, don't you want some victory? Don't you want to be in a situation, in a place where those things are undone once and for all and you can't sin against anybody else and no one can sin against you anymore and your struggle with your addictions and your your uh, bitterness and your unforgiveness and, and all of those things, your discouragement, your depression, your coldness, all of those things are put away, done away with once and for all. You see, it's a, at the beginning of the bulletin, there's a great quote here from uh, Gerhardus Voss. It says, God's kingdom cannot come without Satan's kingdom being destroyed. God's will, not, will cannot be done on earth without the destruction of evil. And so when we sing to the Lord a new song and we cry out about his salvation, what we are recognizing is, is that, that Jesus just doesn't come and live and die and rise again. He certainly does that. But Jesus comes and he, he enters into conflict. He enters into a, a, a life and death uh, conflict and he does away with our enemies. And that's why we sing a new song. We sing a victory song. We sing a fight song. Uh, a, a year ago, I went to uh, my my son's uh, graduation from Ranger School, and you know you don't you don't know what to expect when you go to these things. I mean, I don't, you know, because um, all the ads you see about the army on TV are about how they're good when there's a tornado or a hurricane, and how they you know provide for people in times of national uh, uh, natural disaster, and that's a great thing that they do. But at Ranger School graduation, they don't talk about that. They basically say our job is to get close to the enemy as close as we can, maneuver up to him, and destroy him. They didn't only say defeat. <laughs> they say destroy him. And you're like, well, that's, that's a little startling, isn't it? That's a little alarming, frankly, and weirdly comforting, right? And then they blow stuff up and fight with knives and all that stuff to show you how they do this. And so it really is... Pretty, pretty eye-opening. Jesus did that on the cross. If your Jesus doesn't fight for you and win for you, what kind of salvation do we have? Right? 
And so uh, as we as we look at this, we have reason to sing today, not just because we're saved from our sins, not just because we have an eternity waiting for us, but because our God wins and our enemies don't. Right. So put put my notes up there. Right. So in the great uh, struggle that is human life, Jesus wins, as this text tells us, because he does marvelous things. Now, what does it mean that he does marvelous things? Well, uh, these people, the, the, the people who first heard and read and sang this psalm, were thinking about the way in which God had delivered them out of slavery, the way in which God had taken a people that was hardly anything at all and made them a great nation, and that in and with and through them the presence of God was manifest, that, that God was at work in them and, and that they belonged to him, and that this God would continue to care for them and provide for them. So the fact that you get up this morning and you're able to breathe and eat and, and, and you have these, these, these blessings in your life, those are pointers to us of the marvelous things that God does, the marvelous things that Jesus does. Now, I know for many of you, to use the word marvelous or wonderful or stupendous, it's full of irony, right? You probably haven't used the word marvelous or wonderful in a long time except when you're being sarcastic. Right. For many of us, that's true, because that shows the hardness and the coldness of our hearts. But the fact of the matter is the the psalmist is so captivated by the grace and the goodness of God to him, the work that he has done, the salvation, the victory that he has won, that he can't help but say this God does marvelous things. He does incredible things. He does things that we don't expect in his grace and mercy and power for his people. Right. Not the least of which is that our God came in the flesh lived our life, died our death, rose again. Our God raises the dead. It doesn't get any more marvelous than that, right? Secondly, we we read in the psalm that he has revealed himself to friend and foe alike. Now, it's a pretty profound thing to say he's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, to his people. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. It is a profound thing that what God does is by choosing a people and drawing a particular people, a particular community of people to himself, that is not just a a community, just a a grouping or something like that. that. The community that God draws to himself, his people, is a means whereby he remembers and displays his faithfulness to those people and the way he cares for them and provides for them, certainly. But he does that in a way so that the rest of the world, friend and foe alike, can look upon that and see the attractiveness of what it means to be God's people. To see what, how, how good it is to have this God, to have Jesus as your God and as your king as your, and as your victor. That there's an attraction to that. This God is for us. He loves us. He provides for us. Look at what he does for those people. <coughs> so that the people around us, the watching world, the neighbor, the, our neighbors, the nations can see that and appreciate it. And, he, and here's the thing, you know, what, what's crazy about that is, is we don't even see it sometimes ourselves, do we? It's not that God's not at work. He is at work all the time. There is no place, no time, no situation where the Lord is not exercising his power to be faithful, to be gracious, to be loving, to be at work, to provide and to uh, 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 bless his people. He's always doing that. And sometimes even we, his own people, miss that, don't we? 
We need our eyes opened and our hearts expanded to be able to see and appreciate how good and how great this God is to us. He's steadfast in his commitment to his people, right? What, what does he say here is that uh, he comes and he, is, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness, right? Our God makes promises to us. He is faithful to, uh, uh, to perform and to do all of the things that he has promised to us. And so it's a good thing for us to remember. You know, I was at this wedding yesterday for Jenna and Boaz. And, you know, it just strikes me again uh, as I've gotten older, been married longer and done a zillion weddings, just how crazy weddings really are. You know, beyond the fact that everybody's nervous and, uh, you know, you get the cute little uh, kids and the. Uh, beautiful uh, bride, the nervous father of the bride. You got, you got all that stuff going on. But it is such a crazy thing that these two people are standing there without a clue, really, 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 about what the future holds. And they're making commitments before God and before watching world to say, come what may, come what may, I'm yours and you're mine. Crazy. What might happen? What will happen? Right? Well, the fact is what, what the psalm writer here understands is that God has done that and he has tied himself to us in steadfastness, in commitment, and in love that is always warm, that is always passionate, that is always new and fresh every day. He doesn't grow tired of us. Let me say that again. He doesn't grow tired of us. He doesn't grow tired of you when for the 1500th time you gossiped or lied or coveted or stole. He continues in his steadfast faithfulness to us, doesn't he? Right. Next slide. Um, And he tells us here that his victory will finally be manifest in the destruction of his enemies and the establishment once and for all. Of his rule, right? Because before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, one of the things that is true, you know, the, the victors, the, the winners are the ones that get to uh, do the judging. Uh, they're the ones that get to uh, declare uh, uh, the righteousness. And that's exactly what we see here uh, in this text. When, when once and for all the victory of God flows over all of this planet, the possibility of your brokenness, your sin, your, uh, the sin of others against you, your struggles, They won't even be possible anymore because the world, the flesh, and the devil will be done away with once and for all. It's a great, great thing. And and, and those truths, those realities are why the psalm writer wants us to sing, why he wants us to shout, why all of nature responds uh, to this great thing about our God. And because of these things, we sing a new song. But there's a problem in there. There's a problem. And the, and the problem for many of us is that uh, to hear these words of victory in the midst of our struggle with cancer, debilitating disease, dementia, brokenness, hatred, bitterness, chronic uh, pain, 
chronic brokenness. It's hard for us to be able to generate enough enthusiasm to sing anything, much less a new and fresh song recognizing the victory uh, that our God has won for us. For many of us, it feels like the victory of God is a stalemate. Um, I love college football, so this is one of my favorite times of year. Uh, and uh, one of the things that my wife gets really frustrated with me about is that she will often find me watching a college football game, and she'll say, uh, wow, that's, you know, that's great. Well, I already know who's going to win because it's a game from 1940 or 1950 or something like that. And she's like, if you already know who's going to win, why are you watching it? I'm like, well, first of all, it takes my anxiety down several notches because, because I, don't, I don't have to worry about who's going to win, right? I already know that, but it's just good to rehearse again these old victories, right? But for many of us, Where's the victory? It just feels like we're stuck. Well, one of my great all-time favorite movies is a documentary called Harvard Beach Yale. Uh, and the reason why it's a, it's a great, uh, I don't really care about Harvard and I don't really care about Yale, but it's a great, it's a, it's a great documentary because, uh, the Yale team that year was, uh, unbelievable. They had several guys who would go on to have successful, uh, pro, uh, uh, professional, uh, a success. One of their their running back was a guy named Calvin Hill, who I think is probably in the Professional Football Hall of Fame now. They were really, really good. Harvard was terrible. You know, their one of their offensive linemen, their right guard, was the actor Tommy Lee Jones. You know, Tommy Lee Jones. Can you imagine that little guy? He was a he was a guard on the football team. Uh, so uh, they play this game, and uh, it ends up being a tie. But because Yale was so good and Harvard was so bad, Harvard said, you know, Harvard beats Yale, right? Uh, it was just a tie. Well, that's dumb, right? I mean, who, who takes uh, joy from a tie? Nobody, right? Not really. And if you do, you know, there's, there's something wrong. Well, what, what we're singing about and what we're recognizing is, is that Contrary to what our flesh may tell us, contrary to what the world may tell us, contrary to what we may be tempted to think or to see is that our God is already one, that Jesus overcame death for us. And though that we live in a period of time before the final victory is manifest in this world, it is true, it is coming, it is solid, it will happen. And that is what moves us and changes us and orients us towards the reality so that we can sing a new song. Because you see what this psalm is about is it's about the, the, the truth that our God has entered into our world, lived our lives, died our death, risen again. And that truth trumps everything else about the world. And because I am in him, because he represents me and I belong to him, those things are true of me. My future is secure. And so as a result of that, I, I can sing a new song. I can sing a victory song, even in the midst of the struggle that I live in right now. Um, this is the hundred. I, I realize I'm using a lot of football illustrations today. And if you're visiting with us, you know, and you don't like football. Sorry. But um, uh, this is the 150th anniversary year of college football. It's hard to believe, isn't it? 150 years. It would have been funny to see what it looked like in 1869. Um, 
but it's 150 years old. What's really crazy about that is I remember the 100th anniversary. And the guys with the, the, all the guys had hundreds on their helmets, didn't they, Jack? Do you, do you remember that? They, did you have a hundred on your helmet when you were playing then? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you think I'm old. But anyway, uh, <laughs> right? And so it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty crazy thing to think about that. Well, I, I was thinking about that this week, you know, reflecting on that. Uh, the University of Michigan, uh, is the winningest program in, in history. They've won more college football games than anybody else. We have some Michigan alums here. And the reason why I use that as an example is because the Michigan fight song is called Hail to the Victors. Most fight songs are like, we're going to work hard, we're going to strive hard, and we're going to do this. Not Michigan. They're so confident. Their song is, we've already won. You know, even when they're behind, they're singing Hail to the Victors, <laughs> right? That uh, that they think, you know, okay, it doesn't matter because we know we're better than everybody else. We're going to win. Well, the truth of the matter is for us, the reality is what gives us the ability to know that our labor is not in vain, that our lives are not in vain, that our struggle is not in vain, that our pain is not in vain, is that in Jesus we win. And his victory is certain and it is sure and secure for us because he overcame our enemies. Now, here's the problem with that. And what what happens to us is it is possible to know the great truths without feeling the truth of them, right? If I were to, to, to talk to most of you about, do you know what the gospel is? Yes, Jesus lived my life. He died for me. He rose again for me. He's coming again for me. But that doesn't really matter because uh, I have this struggle. And so I can't sing a new song because I can't really... What difference does that make? Well, it makes all the difference. Uh, Because the reality is for us today in our struggle, in our lives, in the pain and the difficulty, the challenges and the disappointments, you and I need the assurance that our God raises the dead and that our God has overcome for us. So that whatever struggle, whatever difficulty I may be experiencing and I may, I may experience in the future, the victory, the life, the righteousness that Jesus Christ lived and died to give to me is sure and secure. It can be counted on and all of the creation one day will see it and hear it and know it. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins by using this confession of sin. It's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Almighty God, Holy Father, we confess that we have sinned against you 
in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We have resisted being led by you. We have followed the spirit of our age into self-reliance, self-worship, and autonomy. We have acted as if the cross has no power. We have lived as if you did not dwell in us by your Holy Spirit, convicting, encouraging, and helping us. Forgive us and grant that we might walk in the Spirit and not in our self-directed paths. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the scriptures tell us, just as I just read, that Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. My favorite thing this time of year is my mulching lawnmower. I don't know if you know what a mulching lawnmower is, but it's a lawnmower that you run it over all the leaves in your yard and they go away. There's leaves there, and then when you go over them, they're gone. And what I understand about that is, is that that is the best thing that you can do for your yard, that it's better than fertilizing it because it takes those leaves and it grinds them up. The only way it could be better is if your lawnmower was battery-operated. But the the thing that it, it just takes them, chews them up, puts them back into the soil so that they can grow. The grass gets fed, and it's, it's a great thing. I love it. It's my favorite, my favorite tool, and I just feel a little sense of victory when I, when I run over those things and, and turn them into mulch. It would, be a, it would be a useless and actually kind of a cruel joke to have that mower running in top condition, efficiently doing what it needs to do, and yet the blade never gets to the leaves. That's how a lot of us live. We look good. We're well-to-do, successful. And even we can give assent to the facts of this God. We can say we believe in him and we, we trust him. And yet the truth of the matter is what he has done for us never really intersects with our heart and our life, what's going on inside of us internally. It's like the blade is spinning, but it never does what it's supposed to do. You were designed, just as that moor was designed to mulch things up, you were designed to sing a new song. That's 
That's what you were made to do. It's to sing a new song in light of the victory that Jesus Christ achieved for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to do that, and sometimes we forget that, right? Because the victory seems stale. The work of Christ seems distant. And yet the reality is we can do that because this God is ever faithful to us. And even our own coldness, even our own aloofness, even our own unawareness of his grace to us doesn't prevent him from blessing us and achieving his victory. That's your hope today, and that's the only thing that you can cling to. You profess that to a body of believers somewhere. Jesus wants you to come and participate in this, in this supper, in this meal, in anticipation of that supper where we gather with him once and for all uh, to uh, celebrate his complete victory over all the forces arrayed against him in this universe. Uh, as uh, the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that uh, the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is gluten-free. And just as we saw uh, earlier in the service, we saw Jesse and uh, Polly uh, Winterhalter uh, stand up and profess their faith. The Winterhalters will lead us this morning uh, in uh, taking the Lord's Supper and in celebration of their profession of faith. So where are they? Oh, they're there. Come on. You guys are you coming up front. So.